all, this is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hey, hey, everybody. We are back with another week of Yolitics, and I can't imagine what we should talk about this week, Ashley. Hmm, there's no <laughs> historic trial happening or anything. This is Ashley Godot. She is the anchor and managing editor of political content at KVUE, KVU in Austin, Texas. Uh, and that's where we are. I mean, the center of, of, of politics always in Texas, but especially right now. I mean, we have not seen an impeachment trial of a statewide elected official in more than a century. It's amazing. And here we are. Uh, and I you know, just I know you're busy. You've been a little busy this week. So busy, but <laughs> I'm always happy to make time for one of my favorite Jasons. Well, you know, um, I always, when, when I do this, when I show up and give you extra work and ask you to be on the podcast with us, I bring gifts. You did bring presents this time. Whiteley has never done this for you if he's talked to you, has he? <sighs> don't think too you, hard about it. Why I don't are you trying want you to make to, me pick I favorites? I don't want you to salvage him. Uh, so I, I brought you some fries here. We've got a chicken wrap. Feel free to start eating. We've got a, a fruit spread. A whole I, a spread. Fresh and, fruit. And I have a weakness for French fries. I don't know if you knew that. I, I think we're kindred spirits. <laughs> uh, and I brought some some beers. A cider because you're mm -hmm. working. You yes. don't want to get too heavy Keep here. Keep it light. And uh, you like these. Who doesn't like a good Austin East Cider? And I brought Blood Orange. And part of the reason, cheers, by cheers. the way, for getting through this week. We're on Friday recording this now, uh, as we've been through one week of impeachment proceedings now. And uh, part of the reason I brought these Blood Orange ones Ooh, it's good. is because Whiteley hates it when we have fruity beers on this podcast. It is hard to imagine that a man like Jason Whiteley could not appreciate the delicious, crisp, refreshing, it is you good. know, feeling you get from a fruity beer. Because it's still a hundred and whatever degrees out there. It is, and it has, it's so good. It just tells you what a hater he is. He has a heart <laughs> okay, filled with hate. your words, not mine. I'm not going there. One of these days, if I insult him enough times, he's going to come back to the podcast here. <laughs> uh, so let's dive in here. What have you been doing this week uh, for coverage? Because this is a different kind of animal. As you mentioned, we haven't seen an impeachment of a statewide elected official in Texas in more than 100 years. Right. How do you how do you cover something like this? And and what has the interest been like? So let me say this. The interest is through the way more than I could have ever anticipated is the views we are getting, how many people are tuned in, are looking at this, are talking to us on Twitter, because, you know, we respond back on Twitter, are just the engagement. Look at the number of people watching this on YouTube. Look at the number of, yeah. of views this is getting, because you it can is track so, that in real time. You can track yeah. it in real time. Yeah. It's historic. Yeah. Um, in terms of what do you do this week, it was what you did before Tuesday. Hmm. You had, from a, from a journalist standpoint, you have to be ready. Right. And it was a lot of research, and it's There's a lot of trying to figure figure it all out and, and read it because there is no on-the-go train job training no. with this. You you need to be ready. And there's so many things involved in this impeachment, and it has all come together over years. And that's Three years. And that's not considering the articles that have been left out for now, yep. uh, which relate to securities fraud and so forth, that go back even further. And so we're talking about so many different things. And just to remind everybody, you know, 
lot, lawmakers, they knew of a lot of this stuff all along, and it wasn't until that final straw that broke the camel's back, as they say, when Ken Paxton asked the legislature earlier this year to go ahead and pay that $3.3 million to the whistleblowers who uh, claimed that they had been wrongly fired by him for turning him into the FBI. But to the lawmakers' credit, I don't think they knew the extent. And right? that is what and they've that, said. And that is what the House prosecutors say. They knew there was some stuff going on. They knew about the whistleblower settlement. I mean, you can take what you will from he fired four people, four of them resigned. Right. But it was once they started to question these people. And it's something that he himself opened the door for. And so that's the, the argument, right, that you hear separately from the actual office of the Attorney General, that by law, the whistleblowers couldn't sue Paxton. They had to sue an office. Mm -hmm. So they sued the AG's office, and therefore the AG's office is who would have to, to pay the settlement. But I think for what was abundantly clear, right? Because you could tell from Dade Phelan when he knew that the ask was coming and Speaker he said, of the House. Yes, yeah. Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, and he said, oh, We'll see about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think right there you knew they wanted to know more. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I, I don't think that they were prepared for what all they were going to hear and what they were going to find out. I think you're right. And, and I think it's been, you know, for the public as well, you know, we've seen some, some waves of this stuff coming out leading up to trial. But then we got to trial uh, this week, and uh, all of this stuff has been put out there on the witness stand. And I will say that the prosecution has just been hammering this message home by pulling up all of these top staffers who worked under Paxton, his handpicked people, and, and, and they all tell this consistent story of how he just seemed to go a different direction than the, the, the Ken Paxton they had always known when it came to his friend, Nate Paul. So much to the point that you had the, the terms. You had Mateer saying he would wondered if he would, Jeff Mateer, who was his, his first in command, right? His right-hand man saying, I wondered if he was being blackmailed. Right. His second in command, Ryan Bangert saying, I wondered if he had had a gun to his head. Yeah. You know, you had the uh, deputy attorney general for legal counsel saying, you know, that this was so unlike him, that this was just, he thought that they were going to be seen as co-conspirators. And he said that he wondered how far would he go? How far was Ken Paxton going to go if we didn't stop him? Yeah, they said, you know, it seemed like the attorney general's office, which is the people's law firm here in Texas, had been hijacked. I mean, some language oh, that you just, yeah, it's strong language. It's incredibly strong language. And I think for people at home who are who are watching, you know, because let's, let's be honest, most Texans, when the house managers dropped those dozens of pages worth of evidence, they were not combing through it. They were looking right. to people like me and you to comb through it. Yeah, what was in there? <laughs> yeah, and then, but to hear it now, and I think, you know, to hear David Maxwell, who was the former top law enforcement officer for the AG's office, this is a straight shooter. Oh, yeah. A decorated Texas Ranger. To hear him say those things, to, to hear him say that he point blank told Nate Paul, you're trying to use the office of attorney general for your own benefit. Mm -hmm. And then he says he told the attorney general, you better quit messing with this guy or he's going to get you indicted. And but then to hear after that him say Paxton sided with Paul mm -hmm. instead of siding with instead of siding with someone who has been your trusted, loyal employee and friend for years. And who's in the Hall of Fame. Yes, who is in the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame. Instead of listening to this person, 
you were so wrapped up, apparently, in this kinship. They, they talked a lot about why Nate Paul and this kinship that you both felt you'd been so wronged by FBI mm-hmm. that you were on his side. I want to I ask you a little bit about the cut through with that witness that you're talking about there, because for the first several days of the trial, we heard from the top you know, executives there in the attorney general's office. Lawyers. Under Ken Paxton. All lawyers. Who, by the way, um, lawyers cross-examine people. Mm-hmm. Lawyers don't get cross-examined. There were, they, they had some hard times in cross-examination. So I think one of them yeah. had a hard time in cross-examination. So I think, and look, you can Google his name and you'll see the meme. <laughs> um, look, Jeff Mateer was visibly frustrated. Yeah especially when he was accused of staging a coup. Yeah. Okay. Ryan Bangert was composed and sharp and not there for it. And and almost the fact that they let Anthony Oso, who has been practicing law for about five years now, um, do his cross. You had Bangert correcting him. Yeah, yeah. During his cross. Which was interesting to watch. Yeah, so he was not having it. Ryan Vassar, on the other hand, this is the the youngest of the two of, of the three that we saw, the yeah. three attorneys that we saw. You know, I thought it was really interesting and not a good look at all for the prosecution when you had the defense have this attorney reading the actual articles, article by article, and then them asking, "Well, Ken Paxton didn't do that, did he?" And right. Vassar saying no, a question for the jury, and here he is sitting here answering that question. A lot of people were surprised that the prosecution didn't object to that too. I, but but, what you've not seen the prosecution objecting to much, mm-hmm. right? You've seen the, the defense, defense on it. Yeah. It seems like at one point I thought Anthony also was just there simply to say object, right. hearsay, right. objection. Like they they couldn't get a word out, and he was just sitting there to object. Whereas on the the prosecution, they've been very calculated, and so a part of you has to wonder because all of this is strategy. Mm-hmm. Every single part of this is calculated. Mm-hmm. What are they thinking? How do is the prosecution trying to come across to the senators? Mm. Remember, these aren't regular jurors. Right. These aren't your men, your men and women on the street. These are a lot of them attorneys, mm-hmm. former judges, professionals. And they know what's up. They they get it. You, they're going to see through. You know. Yeah, and you know, and I keep reminding people too when we talk about these jurors. These jurors are they've got politics to consider in addition to guilt or innocence. And on top of that, most juries uh, don't, you know, if you're on a jury, you don't usually think about, am I going to keep my job depending on how I vote Mm -hmm. on this jury? So this is a very different kind of jury that we're talking about. It is, but you know, they're not, the the people who are going to have to answer to that question even before them are the House Republicans. Right. Right. The House voted to impeach the, the Attorney General 121 to 23. Right. That's, so, a, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, to, to your other point, because you've heard it probably said that this is really a trial for nine senators, for nine Republicans. Yes. Because if you assume that the Democrats are going to vote to convict, right. you would need— There's 12 Democrats. 12 Democrats, 19. You need 21. Right. You would think that— um, they're just trying to convince them. And so when we're talking about, and I think that's why you see Rusty Harden taking the time with the those three attorney. attorneys yeah. to, well, the, for the House. Yeah, I'm um, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the defense attorney. I'm sorry, uh, with the prosecution. Sorry. You saw him taking the time 
to go through the backgrounds, the conservative Republican backgrounds of all three of those attorneys to establish. Right. These weren't deep state actors. These are not rhinos. Right. These are not the establishment. Right. These are conservative uh, men of Texas who thought they were on the front lines of fighting the good fight for the conservative values of Republicans in this state. And obviously they were at the heart of it. They were in the office. They were the ones who went to the FBI to report Ken Paxton. They, they had to go quickly in, in, in the trial. They had to be in the first week, obviously, because you've got oh, to yeah. lay that predicate out there. But I think that that's what made uh, uh, it more Im- Im- impressive that David Maxwell, uh, the, the law enforcement uh, presence there in the office, mm-hmm. I think that's what highlighted his testimony even more. Because we left the lawyers and the legal speak behind, and you got someone who got up there in very plain speak, doesn't mince words, uh, and, and, and laid out what he thought. You know, I, I'm trying to watch the clock here it would have been, I think, or could be good if the prosecution ends on him today. Hmm. To over the weekend, because they're taking Saturday and Sunday off, leave the, the jury with the, the very straightforward testimony of someone who, you know, one of the Republican principles is to back the blue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't get any bluer hmm. than David Maxwell in terms of law enforcement. This is a hall of fame texas ranger Mm -hmm. and so how can you not believe what he would have to say so whereas they're trying to that you saw the defense trying to poke holes Mm -hmm. and almost you know come at the credibility of the three attorneys who were also serving in the attorney general's office you you're not going to see them try to attack the credibility of maxwell as a person Mm -hmm. right more so investigations sometimes you got investigations wrong don't you you know opposed to personal things about him so so an effective witness uh as as far as you've seen for sure and you are nodding your head uh most definitely if people don't go back and watch except but if you only watch one witness from this week Go watch David Max. I was going to say, it cuts through, and I wonder if, you know, and it, it, it almost worked out perfectly for the prosecution to pull him up there right after lunch on a Friday that has been a very long week for these senators who are the jurors who have listened to so many lawyers speaking legalese, and it got way down in the weeds a lot of times. And then you Letterhead get, weeds. Yes. If we had to hear <laughs> letterhead, letterhead one more time. And, and then you get this guy up there who is salt of the earth, and just laying it out there, not adding any extra flowery language and letting it fly. And you know, when you get into the legal profession, so much of it is just like in our profession. It's how you tell the story. Mm-hmm. How are you gonna get up there and tell the story uh, as an attorney and, and pulling your witnesses in and so forth. And this guy, if people have heard Nate Paul, they've heard you know constitutional bribery, they've heard impeachment article, they, you know they've heard bits and pieces, and they're like, I don't really know how all that jigsaw puzzle fits together. This guy, if you listen to him, you go, oh, okay, I get what they're saying, I get what they're alleging about Ken Paxton now. And and also not only that, it was um, the first time we've heard someone say directly what Nate Paul had convinced himself had happened to him. Right, right. And that he convinced himself that the FBI had raided his property searching for drugs and guns. And when they didn't find either of those, they 
on the spot changed the search warrant and started looking for something else that they wanted to get him so bad and to the point that he believed a federal magistrate was involved in all of this this huge conspiracy against him and to hear him to hear maxwell outright say absolutely ludicrous right absolutely ludicrous like i said no flowery language nothing he it just, just said it down. there was no way it was good that it ludicrous think about that right yeah he's and he speaks in the sound bites oh yeah i'm gonna have fun writing this story yeah i can only imagine <laughs> uh and i should probably let you get back to that uh before i let you go though next week what what are your thoughts about what what you expect from them. I know it's hard because we don't know what to expect. We don't know. A hundred witnesses we know from a leaked um, leaked list of witnesses because the witness list is supposed to be um, confidential. Yeah, how are they gonna get to a hundred though? We've been this, through this a handful and, and already, uh, what, by midday today, uh, both sides had already gone through about a third of their time. They get 24 hours a piece total to present their case and both of them have gone through about a third of their time. How are we possibly going to get to 100 witnesses? We won't. But Patrick, Dan Patrick, who's presiding over this, has the ability to, quote unquote, extend it. Would he be that generous? Does he get to extend it? Yes, it's in the rules that he can, Where is that in he the can rules? quote unquote, extend the time at his discretion, though. So would he be that generous? I don't think he's going to be. If he's yeah. going to be generous, it's. I think that would apply to you have a witness on the stand. You're in the middle of talking to said witness. Right. All right, I'll let you finish this one. I'm going to go back and check those rules now since you looked at me that way. No, I believe you, Jason Wheeler. I just, look, I, I didn't see that in there, but I, I believe it. He. I'm still going to go back and check it. Oh, my gosh. Do you uh, want to go get my printout for No, because yeah, I've got to look alone so I won't be ashamed, too ashamed when no, I, I believe I you. I am sure you're correct. Uh, I know I read that. Uh, before I let you go, where do people find you right now and your coverage on this? Okay, so if you want KVU Plus, I know you guys are WFAA Plus is doing the same thing we are. We are right. bringing you gavel to gavel coverage, but that's where you can find me with more analysis. We're bringing in special guests to kind of break all of this down for you. And then, um, of course, on Twitter at Ashley G underscore KVUE um, is where I'm kind of giving you the play by play as I see it. And then we have a we have a little Sunday morning segment called Texas This Week. You can Google it or find it on YouTube and rewatch it there. And you know what? We are kindred spirits because I still refuse to call Twitter X as well. I'm, I'm not, not doing there. that. I don't, what, that's not the, when you, what, we, uh, let me ask you something, Jason. Yeah. When you go to your Google <laughs> and you go to that address bar, what do you type in? You type in www. I, first of all, I don't ever type www. Okay, that is, fair. That okay, is so what? 1990. Don't judge what, me. I like a good uh, www. So I don't do that, but yes, Twitter. You, you, you write it as Twitter. Twitter.com. And That's when you say you... somebody sent a... Tweet. You don't say they sent an X. I'm not... You don't... If it's a verb, you tweeted, you didn't X. Let me tell you something. Elon Musk is not the boss of me. Yeah, he sure is. It's Twitter. <laughs> and it's gonna, for me, it's going to be Twitter. That said, this is going to come out... I mean, he's here in Austin. He's going to hear this, and uh, both of us are going to be suspended by off the platform. By Tegna, and then... And we won't know what to say we've been suspended from. Is it X or is it Twitter? <laughs> Ashley, thank you as always. It's a pleasure to be with we you. We always have to put you in this when we're in town. Uh, we are headed next. Ashley was talking about it. Uh, WFAA Plus in Dallas. Uh, they're doing the same thing, gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage with the great Tanya Iser. You know mm -hmm, Tanya. Mm -hmm. uh, Tanya is much like David Maxwell. She does not mince any words. <laughs> and so uh, let's get Tanya on here.
Hey, y'all. This is where Texas politics gets interesting for another smart conversation on Eolitics. Tanya Iser. Um, first of all, thank you for doing this uh, because uh, you've had some long, long days. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. Uh, but you're not just Tanya Iser anymore. You are internet breaker tanya Iser. this no I'm, I, and i'm not kidding my head's not gonna fit through the door when you say stuff like that <laughs> some would argue that maybe it didn't even before that. um so you've been doing this uh live streaming uh the entire time uh that this trial has been going on it feels like it's been going on a very long time by the way Isn't it uh, we're, we're, we're one weekend here uh so you've been doing this live streaming and what i love about it is you've also had on uh, legal experts. You're, you know, also dabbling with political experts because this crosses both of those, you know, thresholds, obviously. But these legal experts have been really fun to listen to. You've picked some really good speakers. You're good at eliciting things from them. But it's really great to hear people from the legal world examining what is playing out. Because yes, this is a trial that's happening in the Senate chambers, but you know, it's not quite the same as when you're in a courtroom. It's, it's not, and it's, it's. It's kind of like no trial I've ever seen because yeah. it has sort of the trappings of a criminal trial, you know, the quote unquote judge, the jurors. But in what in what trial do you have the jurors voting on motions like we had the first day? That doesn't happen. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so many things. And then you have a presiding judge who's not a lawyer and most certainly not a trial judge. And we saw today and over the last two days you know, that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, I mean, he's very fresh and young in his judicial career. So things have not been perfect. So I believe one of your experts called him a baby judge. A baby judge. Well, <laughs> wait, I've actually heard the term baby prosecutor. Yeah, he's like a baby judge. You know, so <laughs> things are not going to be perfect. And, you know, you do see him increasingly turning to Lana Myers, who's a, a retired appeals court judge, to ask for help. But Which he but, ought to. I mean, she's got the experience. But this has been, uh, you know, already kind of a wild ride. And, you know, mm -hmm. we've heard a lot of this stuff and, you know, the stuff about uh, the open records case and the hiring of this outside counsel. But when you really start to put it all together, it's mm -hmm. really amazing. I mean, and you can't emphasize enough that Ken Paxton is the state's top law officer. Mm -hmm. And what his former top lieutenants are describing is how he, in their view, systematically used the office to benefit one person. Mm -hmm. it's Nate Paul. Nate Paul. And it's stunning when you mm -hmm. when you kind of put it all together. And these aren't these are not rhinos or these are not liberals. These are these are the right of the right. Yes. You know, I, I, that's an interesting point that you make because, um, and, and I told people, because I've been covering this uh, from, from Austin this week, and I told people on day three of the trial, hey, listen up, if you missed day, or you caught day one and two, but you missed day three, you really haven't missed a tremendous amount because the prosecution here, you, you can really see the contours of this developing very early on. The prosecution here, what they're doing is they're parading all of these former top deputies who Paxton, by the way, sought out, recruited, hired, 
handpicked people. Okay. These are people who aligned these with are him. True completely. Believers. These are true believers and worked with him for a long time. Mm -hmm. So what the prosecution is doing, they're putting up each one of these and as a sort of a preamble to whatever they have to testify about, they, they do this sort of conservative litmus test. Tell us how conservative you are. Uh, and, <laughs> and I suppose that some of that is to influence those Republican Senator jurors uh, but also some of that is to blunt any criticism that's coming from Paxton's defense that says y'all were deep state intent on undermining this guy and, and, and pulling off a coup in his office. Well, right. That's what they're trying to blunt. And obviously they are essentially Paxton's team is accusing uh, these whistleblowers of having led uh, some kind of coup to, uh, you know, get rid of the elected attorney general. They even kind of like made it seem like, I think with Mateer, Jeff Mateer, the former first assistant, that maybe he really wanted to be the attorney general. I mean, right. he, he did not, <laughs> that guy did not strike me as somebody that was ever going to run for elective office ever in any place. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 hold on one sec. Hey guys. I love this. Okay, so so just for our, our our viewers and listeners, Tanya has been set up uh, in front of this enormous LED screen uh, in the newsroom. It's behind me, but it's turned off at the moment. Yeah, and she's in the newsroom at WFAA TV in Dallas, and she's been bringing on these legal experts with her, and she just like basically pulled the the mom teacher move in front of the entire newsroom and told everybody to shut up in, in a because newsrooms get loud. They do. They do get loud. And you didn't tell them to shut up. I know that. But you gave the mom teacher look that says it <laughs> without having to say it. <laughs> you know, Jason, this is the kinder, gentler Tanya. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm you're not... like Ken Paxton. Uh, yes, what, was nice what did they describe him as? <laughs> oh, a gentle, kind, attentive man. Uh, the, the defense I, what described him as one of the last things I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you just but when you when you think back through all the things today, you know, like the open records situation where uh, they they end up ordering the release of this FBI brief because the FBI didn't respond in time. As someone who has filed a ton of open records requests, I would have loved to receive the special treatment with my open records request that Nate Paul got. I mean, that would have been really nice. I'd like them to be kind and attentive to me so that I can get the things that I want. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that, too, because the defense did, you know, portray him that way a, a couple of times. Um, who are they? You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued with the legal aspects of this because you've been surrounded by some really good experts there. Who who is the defense trying to play to there? Are we know that the prosecution, their sole focus has to be these senator jurors, the ones who are going to vote whether to convict Ken Paxton on these impeachment articles or not. Who is the defense playing to in the early going here, at least from what your legal experts have been noticing? Well, it seems like they're playing to. Uh... That's a good question. I think they're they are playing to those swing senators. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, I think it's pretty well. Obviously, they're also playing to a wider audience, right? Right. Because you can hear a lot of dog whistles going on. A lot of, you know, at, at one point, uh, this comment. I think it was Mitch Little made. Uh, one That's of the, one of the defense attorneys, right? Is saying you know you know something about the FBI and you can't trust the FBI. Something to that effect was kind of towards the end of the day. So there's yeah. a lot of dog whistles like that. But you know we you could see from the early voting that you had really six senators who were sticking strong with Paxton, right? Mm -hmm. They voted pretty much to dismiss everything. Mm -hmm. So you so you probably have he's got to get 
four four votes, mm-hmm. four more senators, four more Republican senators, because ultimately those are the people that are going to make the decision about whether he survives this or not. So he sent out a fundraising email yesterday and, you know, an, an email trying to so you, you he's going to want to put political pressure on those swing whoever those swing senators ultimately be mm-hmm. will be to to get them to side with him so i think that's kind of what's going on but yeah it's it's a really fascinating case i mean yeah. I, did you ever think i know when they um announced the original well, i broke that story earlier this year about the settlement mm-hmm. i mean if you had told me the settlement you, with the whistleblowers who were working for ken paxton you, uh was, when they uh, sued him for wrongful firing if you had told me when when they that settlement was announced that 3.3 million dollar settlement that we would be here today mm-hmm. i wouldn't believe it absolutely not and this is what the house says made them move to impeach him in the first place there at the end of may this was the final straw you know they knew about you know the the controversies surrounding ken paxton for a long time uh it was yeah. not until they say he asked the state legislature to pay this $3.3 million for wrongfully terminating some of his own employees. And the state said, wait a minute, why are we paying to clean up what you know they said was a wrongful firing? That's on you. And that's where this whole thing was born out of. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that's I think that's how we got here. But then also, uh, I think a couple things happened. The the senator, the, the legislature didn't know it was coming, so they were caught flat footed. They felt like he didn't kind of clue them in. Hey, I'm about to, you know, come to this settlement. And then his refusal to come speak before their committees. Those were the things that that really did, you know, really set, you know, set the ball in motion and get us to where we're at today. And what, but one thing that was in talking to the legal experts that I think was an interesting thing by the prosecution was they started with the two whistleblowers who didn't sue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they no, didn't because want, they're, they didn't, they're not getting anything out of it. No, the two people who didn't sue uh, and and and, you know, in both cases, you know, kind of becoming both of them becoming emotional mm-hmm. and really coming across as people who were hired by Ken Paxton. They believed in his conservative legal agenda. And you can you can feel in their testimony how aggrieved they were that their view of this man that they respected and 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 I, I kind of beloved in the mm-hmm. sense I got from him yeah. that he acted in ways that they felt betrayed their his oath and mm-hmm. and then and then also that all these things were happening over you know eight or nine months but it's only right at the end as um these subpoenas have gone out have gone out to camp to uh Nate Paul's uh, business and law enforcement opponents mm-hmm. that they all get in a room and they start comparing notes and realize like, wow, it's bigger than any one single person had thought at that right. point they were saying, I, I want to ask you this, uh, uh, Tanya, um, because I, I am fascinated by the back and forth, uh, you know, the, the different tact that both sides have taken. Seems like the defense, boy, the, you know, in that first, you know, well, first of all, in opening statements and then in the first cross-examinations, I mean, they've come out 
swinging and swinging hard. Uh, and, and I'm curious because we've seen that, but we've also seen this real combativeness uh, between the two legal teams, the prosecution and the defense. Sometimes you see that to a degree in a criminal case or a civil case. Uh, it feels like it's more so uh, in this one. And that could have to do with the fact that you have a very inexperienced, quote unquote, judge in Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who isn't necessarily putting out those fires the way another judge might. Well, you've got the battle of the big time Houston attorneys here. Yeah, they're all from Houston, it seems like. Well, I mean, we have one from Frisco, I guess, but they're all from Houston on both sides, it seems like. It, well, and, and actually, there's the Houston connection throughout this whole thing. You know, the original mm -hmm. special special prosecutors in Paxton's uh, indictments for securities fraud, accusing him of securities fraud, those guys are out of Houston. Right, and that trial will be in Houston. Right, yeah. the trial will be in Houston. And also, the investigators that were hired by the House Investigating Committee all those people yep. worked in the Harris County District Attorney's Office. So all it's, roads lead to Harris County so, and Houston. Uh, it's like, what about Dallas? Why did we get left <laughs> out? Well, I'm curious, though, what have your legal experts been saying about, I mean, it, am, am I wrong in that? Am I? Is it just me or are we seeing a lot more bickering between these two sides? It's almost hard to continue to follow the testimony because the bickering is constantly stopping things. And I mean, these these folks are on really strict clocks, supposedly, to present their cases. Each side gets 24 total hours. It seems, you know, Dan Patrick has the ability to extend that. It seems like that's already baked in that he's going to be extending that. I don't see how he doesn't. Uh, I think that really a lot of it gets back to having an inexperienced judge mm -hmm. um, who can wrangle um, these lawyers. Because um, there's, you know, there's points when uh, I, it seems like maybe Dan Patrick is coming to understand what hearsay is and all these various legal terms. But, mm -hmm. you know, a, an experienced judge, and I've I've seen judges do this where they'll basically tell a lawyer, you do that again, and I'm going to hold you in contempt. And then I've seen them do it. So, you know, I think that part, you know, you, you see a lot of let's, let's see what we can get away with. But then you also had, you know, this uh, earlier today, one of the attorneys for the defense side it was clear that he kind of got on, seemed like he got on Patrick's nerves. Yeah. I, I've seen Patrick Anthony look a little Oka. bit exasperated a few times. Yeah. But this, the last attorney that was doing uh, the questioning of Ryan Vassar, he was pretty effective mm -hmm. at, 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 at making his points, you know, but who knows, you know, mm -hmm. this ultimately, this is a political trial and this is going to be decided on politics. I was really interested on day one and I'm about to let you go. Cause I know you've got to be exhausted because I do I mean, have a child just, at home. Just one. <laughs> who, who, by the way, who, by the way, has called me and said, Mom, we're out of food. Can you bring me food? Oh, gosh, <laughs> it just never ends, does it? Yes. OK, so um, so we had uh, in in opening statements, we had um, the defense come out and say straight out. I mean, you would you would probably never say this to an actual regular jury, but he questioned have you all already made up your minds? Have you already decided, you know, maybe that you're going to just do whatever is politically expedient for you? You know, maybe you're not going to be able to give a fair trial. I've never heard something like that said to a group of jurors. I wonder how that went over. That really stood out as a big sort of legal moment in this trial. I'm curious, just from the days that you've seen so far and what your experts have seen, has there been a singular moment or two that have really stood out to them from a legal perspective? You know, I just think for 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 me and 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 from what we've heard is just 
it's hard to say a singular moment, but just when you when you hear the systematic ways, you know, it's the it's the totality of the of this testimony, you know, all these different ways and all these different things that were occurring that they believed or came to understand were to benefit Nate Paul. And so I think it's 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 not one thing. It's all the things. Yeah. And I got from your some of your legal experts that they were saying it's really interesting to see how the prosecution is sort of teeing this up and that they can't wait to see down the road how they sort of put the meat on the bones now that they've teed up that that sort of pattern uh, that they say Paxton exhibited exhibited. How are they going to put the meat on the bones and really bring this home uh, for these Senate jurors? It is going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, Tanya, where do people watch you because i called you the internet breaker seriously you guys have been like uh, number one streaming something or another i mean it's been nuts how many people are watching this thing uh well we're we're on our youtube page we have a live stream and i think it's also on roku and some other and of course on our website okay so if you have w if you if you have a smart tv and you get the wfaa plus app it's totally free uh, it will have this on there, gavel to gavel coverage with analysis. Also, if you just look at WFAA.com or if you go on YouTube and search for WFAA and go to that page on WFAA, it's all right there. You won't be able to look away. Like I honestly, I don't watch a lot of this kind of stuff. I couldn't look away when I was watching you, Tanya. It, it, it's, it's fantastic. Well, awesome. Thank you, Jason. Go buy that kid some groceries now. Gosh, what are you doing? I mean, what kind of there parent are you, Tanya? There's food in the fridge. It's not that bad. <laughs> Don't you hate that? The kids complain. My wife does this too, even. The kids and the wife will complain. There's nothing to eat here. I get home. I look at the the ingredients there, and I can make like 20 meals out of what I see. Well, um, <clears throat> Jason, We should both be on Chopped, like the reporter edition. Don't well, you think? I just want to say that I don't cook very much. I'm not much of a cook, and you really would not want to eat any of my food. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I would have guessed that anyway. Tanya, uh, thanks for doing this with us. I know we're catching at the end of a long day. We turn now from Tanya to uh, talk about the politics of this, even though she's been talking about that as well. And we're bringing in a former uh, Republican state representative, Jason Vialba, uh, as I say, a Republican who is now the chief executive officer and chairman of the board of the Texas Hispanic Policy Foundation to talk about the politics of this trial. Click subscribe and get Yolitics every week. Eolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Jason, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, this is a, a fascinating trial so far. We've gotten through week number one here. Uh, I just want to get, first of all, you know, from the political sense, because you probably see this through a very different filter than most of us do. What are what are you thinking as you've been watching this uh, play out over the first week? Well, I think the first thing that strikes me is that the conventional wisdom that we've seen all around the country being, you know, this is a this is a politically motivated witch hunt and Tim Paxton will easily be acquitted of these charges and he'll continue to serve as the AG. I think we're seeing that dispelled in these early days, right? Not only did the House of Representatives, which is a very conservative body, vote overwhelmingly to impeach, many of the people that voted in favor of impeachment in that body were far-right conservatives, rock-ribbed red conservatives, and they voted uh, to impeach him you know, at, at very great risk to their political capital or back in their districts. And I think we're seeing the same uh, issue or the same kind of effect play out in the Senate 
where you have this, the procedural motions that A.G. Paxton made early on to essentially dismiss the case mm-hmm. and then vote after vote after vote. And the vote was essentially 22 to 8. And again, the 22 comprised of many uh, very conservative Republicans from rural districts. And I think that signaled uh, that in this case, I mean, A.G. Paxton is at great peril. I think we're going to see this, you know, continue out. The the days three and four of the trial have been quite mind-numbing in their legal detail. But, mm-hmm. you know, on day one, I, I do think we got some writing on the wall about the direction this is going. And I'm not certain that uh, the counselor for A.G. Paxson is doing him any favors by being so abrasive um, and political in the way that he approaches uh, these witnesses and these witnesses are coming across as very well uh, spoken uh, very conservative and very much concerned about well-being of texas rather than politics you touched on about a hundred threads there that i wanted to pull on uh one of them that really stood out to me is we're talking about all of these motions uh that uh, ag uh, suspended ag paxton uh filed to try to get these different impeachment articles thrown out he tried to get all of them thrown out in one motion tried to get one thrown out in another motion tried to get two thrown out in another and just went down the list like that as you mentioned the votes that were taken on that this was be- you know before we got it to any witness testimony uh the votes that were taken on that were very lopsided saying no we're going to keep these articles in place and we're going to have this trial. Uh, And the interesting thing about those votes is that those were two thirds majorities. That's what uh, that's what's needed to convict him. That's not to say that, you know, they're going to vote the same way that they did just to, you know, hear the hear the article out. But it was a significant number. In fact, I think there was only one motion where it was, I think, 20 to 10 uh, which would not be enough to convict. And again, that doesn't you know, signal how they're going to vote on those things. But you were surprised, you're saying, you know, knowing everything that you know about politics in Austin, you were surprised by how big those numbers were on those. I was, uh, primarily because my experience in the Senate is when a bill, for instance, comes before the body, now the cake has already been baked. These decisions were made ahead of time, uh, they're often coordinated behind the scenes, and and the floor action is usually just a coordinated kabuki dance. Uh, I don't know if this is the same kind of situation, but the fact that it was so, uh, as you say, lopsided tells me there's been great discussion behind the scenes about, at a minimum, hearing the evidence. Right. So if if you're if you're agreeing to vote to hear the evidence, that's different than agreeing to vote to expel A.G. Paxton. And so I I do think there is some subtlety and some difference between that. So even though we're seeing these overwhelming votes in the early days, that doesn't always mean that they're likely to vote that way after all the evidence has been heard. Right. On the other other side of that coin, however, is if you're voting to hear the evidence— You're voting for the people of Texas to see the dirty laundry and to hear the sordid details that are going to come out. And it'll be very hard for a a senator to hear these details and this information and these facts and then say, you know, I'm going to vote to acquit. It's just going to be very difficult to do that. 
I, I don't think anybody over the years could say that uh, the Dallas Morning News uh, is a liberal outlet. Uh, and uh, the other day uh, on in their on their op-ed page, they talked about the six senators. There was this group of six senators that voted in every case when they were going through those motions to just dismiss these and let's all just go home and let's not have this trial. They labeled them the shameful six. Mm -hmm. uh, Jason, you know, it, I'm sure that these senators are, you know, of course, they're you know, paying attention to what's going on in this trial. They're also paying attention to what's going on at home in their districts and with their electorate there. Is that something that could come back to haunt uh, these people who said, no, nope, we don't need to have this trial. We don't need to see this. There's nothing to see here. Let's move on. Well, I think their talking point when they go back home will be, this is politics as usual. This was a group of Democrats that brought this. It's us against them. You know, we're the red jersey team. They're the blue jersey team. Got to stick with the team members. And that'll be their, their point. But I would be very concerned if I were a senator who voted to acquit in the face of this stark evidence on these very uh, impactful issues. We're not talking about securities law and arcane issues that no one knows about. We're talking about infidelity and using people, using a donor's money to redo your kitchen. I've been to enough of uh, the Republican women's clubs to know that those kinds of issues resonate uh, with rock rib conservatives. And so uh, it's going to be very hard to say it's all politics when, you know, grandma from uh, Vider, Texas says, well, what about the fact that he was, you know, doing these things with this woman that's not his wife? Uh, how do you answer that question? You know, and yeah. why would you go to acquit in the face of that if there's evidence? And the prosecution, uh, I think, has really been drilling down too on, you know, you've got somebody who's supposed to be the top lawyer for the state of Texas, essentially helping friends, uh, you know, doing what he can to help a friend and and bending the law around that. And, and they're really trying to hammer that message home. I do think it's interesting that you mentioned that talking point uh, mm -hmm. on on the, on the right saying, you know, this is left driven. Uh, you know, it's the Democrats pushing this. It's a liberal agenda. Um, you know, you know, as, as well as anybody, Democrats don't control anything in this state. Uh, <laughs> this is red on red. I mean, it has been from the beginning. It had to be. Uh, I mean, the House is controlled by Republicans, as you mentioned, very conservative Republicans. Uh, this has been red all the way through. Well, I think the difference between what we're seeing in Austin and what we see in Washington is just the nature of the, of the claims against A.G. Paxton. You know, in Washington, you know, election fraud and violating very deep uh, constitutional question or co constitutional rules that most people aren't familiar with, these very esoteric issues. It's hard uh, as a, uh, or it's easy for a politician just to brush that off and say, politics as usual, they're just doing this to, to get us out of office. But these are much different. Uh, everybody has a, has a friend and everyone has a wife or a brother or a sister who has been impacted by these kinds of issues. Uh, like infidelity and who and whether or not a politician uses money from a donor uh, to do things like fix up their house. I mean, those are the kinds of things that are just a, they just hit a little harder uh, than what normal politics is. And that's why normal, pol normal politics do. And that's why I think that Republicans have gotten comfortable voting to impeach in the House and now uh, vote to hear the evidence in, in the Senate. 
you mentioned national politics there. This has gotten uh, national attention and it's, you know, in, in um, you know, conservative media and so forth, and certainly uh, on social media this way. Why is this case so important on the right and even, you know, especially on the far right? Why, why is there such interest? I think the big reason is because of the closeness that A.G. Paxton has with former President Trump. As you recall, during the election crisis, um, it was A.G. Paxton who filed the case that went before the Supreme Court that was ultimately dismissed. <clears throat> he was very close to, uh, to Trump during that time. And I think Trump has embraced him uh, in his election. He obviously endorsed him in the last election. And so I think people perceive uh, Attorney General Paxton as part of the larger MAGA movement and any attack on a MAGA soldier is an attack on all of them. You know, uh, Jason, I'm sure that you noticed this. Uh, on day one, Paxton was there as he was supposed to be by the rules uh, and, you know, entering the plea, et cetera, through his lawyer. Uh, he stayed. They broke for lunch. He didn't come back. We haven't seen him. Um, and, and the prosecution brought that up and said, wait, shouldn't he be here? And, you know, they checked the rules and they're like, well, no, the rules say that he had to be here at 9 a.m. He was. They didn't say he had to stay or keep coming. Um Okay, let's say the rules let you do that. That's fine and well, right? You've been in these chambers. You know how this stuff works. Every one of these lawmakers, these are part-time lawmakers in mm -hmm. Texas. They are not paid a lot of money. They have jobs. They have families, et cetera. They've just been through a legislative session and some special sessions. They probably still have more special sessions to come. They've been itching to go home. Now they've got this big impeachment trial in the middle of special sessions. And they're having to, you know, sit there every day and listen to all of this testimony. Is it playing in their minds at all that the person who the trial is being held for is not there? I certainly don't think he's doing himself any favors not being there. I've been watching uh, the senators on the floor and, and they're paying rapt attention, but you can tell that it's tiresome, right? And I've been listening to the evidence like everyone else. And I can tell you, it's very arcane, very detailed. You, you have to focus. That's a hard day to sit uh, in a chair, not get up, not stretch and listen for hours upon hours of this testimony. And then the person being charged, <coughs> pardon me, um, is not in the room. That's that's troubling in that room. Now, if I'm Paxton, my thinking is, look, I don't want to be anywhere near this uh, right now. I don't want cameras on me. I don't want cam uh, commercials being made about this when I'm sitting in, in this trial. I want to be away from, as far away as I can from this to insulate myself uh, from any kind of connection to the sordid uh, details or sordid work going on in, in Austin to hurt good rock rib conservatives like myself. Does this help the prosecution? Uh, have you gotten the sense of this, that it helps the prosecution to really go into detail, kind of laying out the conservative bona fides of all of these top staffers resigned or were fired for blowing the whistle on him? I mean, they've, they've gone into great detail about it. It's almost, you know, how conservative are you? It's this litmus test with each witness that gets up on the stand. Is that convincing anybody who the prosecution is hoping to convince? Is it reaching some of these, you know, really conservative senator jurors or, you know, if they're, you know, putting it out there for the public as well? Do you think that that's reaching the right to hear I those do. things? I, th I certainly think it's reaching the senators, right? If you're a senator, you need cover going back home if you have voted to impeach or to 
uh, convict in this instance and remove A.J. Paxton, having the cover of these individuals who are, you know, again, very conservative, very strongly uh, a part of the grassroots movement in Texas, have historically been with uh, A.G. Paxton and groups that he has supported, uh, for those individuals to be the ones making the attack rather than, say, Dave Thielen, who they perceive as maybe less conservative, I think is very important and very uh, impactful and does insulate uh, the senators from the kinds of attacks that they're certainly going to get. Social media lost its mind uh, this week over one thing that came up in this trial. Uh, I mean, social media is known to do that, uh, but it lost its mind over one thing that came up in this trial when uh, Tony Busby, the lead defense attorney for Paxton, uh, was uh, cross-examining one of the prosecution witnesses and basically took us down this road where he said, okay, you all, the top deputies in his office, you went to the FBI, then you penned this letter to the attorney general, letting him know what you were doing and that you had reported him and that letter was going to be made public. And lo and behold, the same day that you all signed that letter, George P. Bush went and renewed his law license for the first time in 10 years. And, and, and the, you know, the defense attorney went on to say uh, there's no coincidences in Austin. So he's connecting these dots, basically saying, you know, you all signed this letter and turned on the attorney general at the very same time that George P. Bush went and signed up for his law license, uh, you know, basically like waiting in the wings, he was suggesting uh, to take over there. And of course, George P. Bush did take on Paxton in the 2022 uh, election, but this was all happening back in in 2020. My question here is, you know, and, and and again, you know, social media went wild with this and people saying, yeah, it's the, the Bushes, they were, you know, trying to do this, etc. Um, does this develop more of a chasm uh, in the Republican Party, we've we've seen sort of this competition uh, in in recent years here, and and sort of facing off and all of that, and and we've seen it throughout this impeachment. Does this develop more of a chasm that again, there's this red on red theme? Oh no, I don't think so. I mean, that was a very thin soup argument that he was making. The nexus was so tenuous, I, I couldn't even really connect the dots that he was trying to connect. I mean, what would have to happen for George P. Bush to be placed into that role would be once A.G. Paxton was removed, the governor of Texas would have to then make a choice for interim and then set a special election and then have him come in. Now, would he be, would, would George P. Bush be Governor Abbott's first choice for interim A.G.? I don't know, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't know if they've got any close relationship. Now, in any event, he'd have to run again in a special election and, you know, look, he came in second last time, but there'll be some good contenders coming up. And that doesn't mean he was going to get uh, elected in the second time and to take over this office. Uh, there was no relationship between the existing staff at the AG's office and George P. In fact, they probably weren't close at all because the AG's staff is, are considered very strong right uh, conservatives, grassroots conservatives. And George P. Bush is considered more of a centrist, more of a Chamber of Commerce uh, type of, of Republican. So I don't think they would have even chosen him had that been the case. I think it was it was Tony Busby just trying to throw something at the wall to see what's stuck. I thought when you were re referring to social media going wild, you were going to refer to as tan over the weekend. 
Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and and he's uh, been claiming, I guess, that you know some people are doctoring photos of him uh, there in the chamber. He is very tan. Uh, maybe it's the lighting in there. The lighting is very dim. Uh, it's kind of poor lighting, I guess. Uh, interesting assertions uh, there. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, and I have to let you go here in just a moment because I promised you that I wasn't going to eat up all your time because you're doing volunteer work today. And I was telling you, you know, you make me want to be a better person, Jason Vialba. No, uh, I, I, I need to do more of that. In all honesty, that really is great. Um, so I'll let you go with this. We're through week one here. What are you looking for in the weeks ahead or do you have any other takeaways from week one that i haven't hit on uh i you know i'm you've been in these positions you haven't been through an impeachment like this but you've been in the positions that these senators are in right now i'm sure they're under a lot of pressure uh but any other takeaways that you have well my advice to counsel uh, the prosecuting counsel would be to speed it up um you know i think that senate will the senators will soon uh lose interest stop paying attention you know make your case make it succinctly as possible uh make it easy for the media to be able to pick up and write stories about it by the afternoon uh and and get it over with because i think the longer this goes on the more that republicans are going to start to get very nervous about it because it makes republicans look bad so if you're a senator and you're willing today to vote in favor of impeachment but this drags on for three weeks and all of a sudden the, the Republicans have been, you know, sullied uh, in, in the press and, and, and pounded in the media for three weeks. It just isn't a good look. So I would I would I would advise them to move quickly uh, through the rest of the trial. I think they're getting uh, through the witnesses quite quickly. I think the first two or three were going to be the most important next week, I think, will be much more uh, into the weeds on the details of the, of the facts and circumstances. And I think they'll probably wrap it up in, in the third week. Speaking of wrapping it up, that's what we're doing right now. Jason Vialba, uh, who is uh, at the top of the Texas Hispanic Policy Foundation now, former state legislator who's been down in there, knows what goes on there in that Capitol. Uh, thanks for being generous with your time. And I think I've gotten you out on time to go do some real good out there. Well, thank you, Jason. It's such an honor to be on your show. I always appreciate you and the other Jason. So let me know how I can be helpful to you. And I'll be back on anytime you ask. You know what? You can help me by finding that other Jason. I don't know where he is. I mean, he's just never here. I I, I uh, got to wrangle that guy. Well, you, uh, you took care of business. So that's good. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Okay, y'all. The conversation doesn't stop here. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Yolitics.